We are going through the book of James, and as we have been doing that, um, we have gotten to James chapter 4, um, verses 13 through 17, and this is where I want you to stand. Um, a, lot of, a lot of days uh, in times gone past, we stood mostly for the scripture and services, so I'm going to ask you to do that today. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is for them sin. And you may be seated. Father God, we just uh, thank you, Lord, once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is a light for our path. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that the word of God... Um, changes and has power to change our lives. And we just pray, Lord, that you would take this word of instruction uh, for us and help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I are supposed to be good planners. In fact, the Bible encourages good planning. We are supposed to kind of map out our life Schedule our calendars, be good stewards of our time and our resources and our life. Verse 13 here in James opens up with all of the elements of a very good plan. I want you to see this. There's the when element, today or tomorrow, who, we, <laughs> today or tomorrow, we, and what will we do? We will go. Where? to this or that city, for how long? To spend a year there, for what purpose? To carry on business and to make money. So you have right in this verse, in James chapter 4, verse 13, a very clear, good plan. So what's the problem? Because as you read James chapter 4 and you look at this, you almost get the idea that God is opposed to planning. And he's not. First Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 11. You remember when David was the first king of Israel. And he had it in his heart to build the temple for God. And uh, God told him no. He'd been a warrior and God didn't want to use him in that, facility, that capability. And he was going to have his son Solomon build the temple. And Solomon did build the temple. But David did all of the planning for that. David did all the planning right down to getting all the resources, hiring the people, getting wood from all the different parts of the world to be brought to Jerusalem to build the temple. He, he hired the people, hired all kinds of different workers, 
drew up the plans, had all of the details, all of that mapped out, and he gave the plans to Solomon for building the temple. David was a planner, and he planned it according to the will of God in regard to how God wanted the temple built. David did all of that planning um, of its storerooms, the building, the temple, uh, the, the upper parts, the inner rooms. All of that was all very well planned out. Psalm 20, verse 4 says, May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Obviously, God's not opposed to plans. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8. But the noble make noble plans. Good people make good plans. And by noble deeds, they stand. So what is the issue when we get to this passage in James and all of a sudden it appears as though God has a problem with planning? The problem is that the plans that James is talking about here have no place for God in them at all. This man has this plan, and it's all very well detailed and planned out and all of that. He knows what he's doing, who's doing it, why they're doing it, how long they're doing it, all of that. He has very good plans, but he has not taken into account any place for God in those plans. So James is saying that planning can be very good, but it can also be laughable if we don't make room for God's leading as we're making those plans, and if we don't make room for adjustments as God adjusts the plans of our lives and things happen and occur in our lives. Look at these verses from Psalm 94, verse 11. It says, The Lord knows all human plans. And he knows they're futile. <laughs> Ever feel like that some days? You, you come up, you know, I, I had a pretty good plan for worship this morning. And about 7.30, it, it kind of all went out the window and we started over with a lot of things. And, you know, that's, that's just human planning. Went as far as we could go. And, and we had to make a whole bunch of adjustments at that point. So the Lord knows all of our human plans and he knows that they are futile. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, that's a favorite verse, and so is this one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So here we are, moving back, as we talk about planning, we're moving back into another theme that James has had almost throughout the whole book of James thus far. We're circling back to that theme of humility. We are to avoid boasting as we make our plans. We are to make our plans humbly before a sovereign, all-knowing Almighty, omnipotent God. So when you and I make our plans, we should never think that, you know, whatever I plan, that's set in concrete. Because <laughs> God can move concrete. <laughs> and um, we just always need to be ready for God to come in behind the scenes and do something or for all kinds of other things to happen in our lives. Here was Job. And Job was a righteous 
He was a blameless man, the scripture says, and he followed God wholeheartedly. And he had good plans. He was, a, he was a good man. He had good plans for his family, good plans for his health, good plans for his wealth, and good plans for his godly reputation, which he was very eager to protect. And one day Satan came to visit God, and God said, or, or Satan said, have you, have you seen, or God said, have you seen my servant Job, who's faithful in all he does? And the devil said, if you took away all your blessing from Job's life, he wouldn't be so righteous then. <laughs> and God allowed Satan to take away all the good things out of Job's life and just destroy them in a, in a matter of a week or so. And all of those things happened. And, and, and you go through the book of Job, and Job is mourning, and he's got three good friends who do nothing but make him feel worse about his situation. And they're always there just kind of tormenting him um, with their theology and all of that. And so they're there. And, and at the end, Job goes to God, and he complains to God about, you know, why me? I was righteous, I was just, I was blameless and all of this, and yet you've allowed all this to happen to me. And God comes at the end of the book of Job, and God asks Job, hey, where were you when I hung the stars in place? <laughs> where were you when I created the whole world? And he just reminded Job that, Job, I am God, and you are not. <laughs> and all of your plans always have to fall in accordance with the will of God. With the best and the godliest of plans that you and I make, we always have to remain humble about them before the very king of the universe. Now, James goes on to say some things that don't make us, don't flatter us a whole lot. He describes our lives as mist or fog, or vapor. <laughs> he says, compared to the king of the universe, you and I are a mist, a vapor. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And that's true. How many days have you woke up and, and your day was off track from the minute you got up? <laughs> and, and it just doesn't go on like you had planned, like you had thought, and all of that thing. And and so when James uses the reference, our lives are like a mist, he borrows that back from the Old Testament prophet Hosea. And in Hosea, God is talking to the Israelites about their love. And he says, your love is kind of like a mist. And this is how he says it. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. In other words, he's saying that they're just not very faithful in their love to him. And then God talks about their trust in idols, and that because of their trust in idols and not, not putting their trust in God, he's going to destroy them like a mist or a dew or chaff or smoke, and he puts it like this. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling around the threshing floor, or like smoke escaping through a window. That's not easy for us to hear, but 
it's good for all of us to be reminded our lives are kind of like a mist <laughs> of vapor. They're pretty short. And the older you get, the, the more you realize that life really is short. It doesn't last very long. I feel like I should be young yet. I'm not. <laughs> Days go into weeks, and weeks go into months, and months go into years, and all of a sudden, years are turning into decades. Life is short. Life is frail. Death is certain. And then we are also reminded that there are a lot of just unforeseen disasters that happen in the world that, you know, they just can completely mess up our plans if we're in the middle of them. And it's not like that's never been true in world history because even in Luke, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, Jesus refers to a couple of tragedies or disasters that happened right there in his lifetime here on earth. And, you know, one of the things he says is there's a lot of disasters. Pilate slaughtered Galileans. The Tower of Siloam fell and killed 18 people. And Jesus makes a point. It wasn't because there were worse sinners, but he just uses that to say that unless they repent, they will perish too. So here's, here's what it says, what Jesus says. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So Pilate, you know, the Roman emperor had just... Um, killed a bunch of Galileans and then mixed their blood with uh, sacrifices that he was making to uh, Roman gods. And um, Jesus answered, he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And he said, Jesus said, I tell you, no. they, They weren't any more righteous or less righteous than someone else. This was just a, a happenstance that, you know, um, Pilate killed some Galileans, and and it was very unfortunate for them. But Jesus goes on to say, you just need to understand that every one of us is going to meet some disasters along the way in our life, and the, the thing that we need to know is that we need to be ready for whatever disaster comes. And, and so, but he says, but unless you repent, then you too will all perish. And then he says, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell... On them, Do you think they were guiltier than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what Jesus is saying there is that in our planning, we need to humbly acknowledge that our life is like a vapor and we really don't have a lot of control of it. Sometimes our lives can be short, shorter uh, than most. Sometimes um, they can change at any given moment. I think of the Olmstead family and how their life and the life of this church changed in just one car accident by a drunk driver. And their lives have never been the same. Just in, you know, a click of a moment. Their life radically changed in all of that kind of stuff. So our lives can change. Our plans are only as good as the Lord wills them to be. 
So he goes on, and the next thing he says is that you and I ought to make our plans with this phrase, the Lord willing. Now, I remember back in older times when I would hear a lot of people in the church just say, well, I'm going to do this, Lord willing. And they would tack that phrase on to a lot of the, a lot of the anything they said they were going to do, they would just tack it on, the Lord willing. Um, James isn't advocating that we simply add that vocabulary into our lifestyle uh, to every plan that we make or announce, but he is advocating for humility before God in all of our plans, that we don't make any plans and not allow room for God and allow God to come in and change and alter and trans, uh, transform our plans. He is advocating that you and I walk with God when we make our plans. He is talking to us about the fact that we also um, need to walk with God in times when disasters hit and unfortunate things hit. And we need to walk with God then. And if our plans get dashed to pieces, we've still got God. And that's the important thing in our lives. He's telling us that the best thing we can do with our lives is trust it to God and see what he does with our lives. So when life doesn't happen according to the plans that you and I make, and again, you and I are to make plans. We're not just supposed to float through life. You should have some plans, good, noble plans. But when our life doesn't happen according to our plans, we are not to be filled with anxiety or anger and all those things, but we are to trust that God holds everything together in his hands and that God is good. Now, he goes on to talk about this word schemes in verse 16. And he basically tells us that when you and I make plans without God in the picture that they are simply arrogant schemes. Boasting about our plans without God is evil. Now, it's interesting that he uses that word evil because you don't see that used a lot. You see sin used a lot in the scriptures. But having plans without God in the picture, he doesn't just describe that as sinful. He describes that as a force of evil. Why is that? There's something unique about this. God says that when you and I make plans and God's not a part of those plans, that is evil. And it's because it's a blasphemous denial of any authority of God over your life. And when we get to that place where we just ignore God in our life altogether, we, we're getting to that place that is beyond sin. You remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar um, in Daniel chapter 4, the great Babylonian king uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And he was very powerful and very rich. And, it, you know, things were going great in his life and all of that. And he said to himself in verse 30, he says, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the power of my might <laughs> and for the glory of of my majesty. Is that not just a little bit arrogant? <laughs> That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. And then look what happens. While the word was still in the king's mouth, 
A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you is the... Well, to you, it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the the field. You will be given the grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the reigns, over the over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Much of our society today just thinks like King Nebuchadnezzar, that God is kind of you know, obsolete, that he's unnecessary to our lives, that we can, can kind of be a law unto ourselves. Unfortunately, Christians aren't much different um, in a lot of places. Um, we kind of get to thinking that, you know, we can make our plans and we can do all these things and, and uh, we can just kind of do our own thing. Many denominations today don't even appeal to the scriptures or to the authority of scripture as a source of their beliefs and, and practices and how they live. So we can be like um, the Egyptian Pharaoh who once said to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him? <laughs> that didn't work out so well for him. But he had plans, and he had plans to use the Israelites as slaves and all of that, and he just didn't want to listen to um, the Lord at all. And so James says, all such boasting, making plans without any account for God in the picture is evil. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, you find the story of the certain rich man. And he had plans for his life. They were pretty good plans, plans that you and I would like. But life was going well for him, crops were good, all of that kind of stuff. Um, he wanted to kind of just relax and take things easy and have some comfort and some pleasure, and he was just going to build bigger barns and all that kind of stuff. And God came to him at the end of the day after he got done announcing about how wonderful his life was and, and how he was going to build bigger barns, and God said to him, that his life was being taken away and his wealth was going to outlive him without any treasure at all stored up in heaven. And so you see throughout the scriptures this theme that you and I are to be planners. We're supposed to plan out our lives, but we are always to do that in the context of remembering that we are a vapor, that we are a mist, and that God is God, the sovereign king of the universe. And that any plans that you and I make can be adjusted by God. At any time, he wants to make those changes. And then we come to verse 17, the last verse in our passage, and the last verse in, in, um, in uh, James chapter 4. And it starts out with this word, then. It's a verse that you would not connect with anything I have said naturally. It just doesn't seem to fit in with the context of everything else I've said about planning. And yet he starts out with that word then, which is a connecting word. And, and it's basically saying that the practical application of all of this teaching on planning is 
what is right here in verse 17, where James says that you and I are to do the good that we know to do. And if we don't do it, it is sin. So he's talking about, you know, there's two kinds of, two kinds of sin. There's sins of commission where um, we know we are not to do something and we go ahead and do it. Sins of omission are when we know we should do something and we just don't get around to it. We procrastinate or we decide we're not going to do it, all those kind of things, but they're sins of omission. And that's what he is talking about here. Remember James, or, or Jesus in Matthew 25, verses 41 through 44, um, tells a story of, of where Jesus condemned those who did not help the poor and the needy. It was not that they had ever done anything to them. They hadn't gone out. They hadn't abused them. They hadn't done anything mean to the poor and needy. It was simply that they didn't do what they could do for them. That was a sin of omission. And so Jesus condemns them. James has already said in this little short book that you and I are not to be only hearers of the word, but we are to be doers of the word. Um, James has said that if we see a brother or sister in need, that we need to do more than just give them happy talk. We are to do more than just wish them well and say, go, I wish you well, hope everything works out well. If there's something that you and I can do, we ought to do that for them. So here, James, James is talking about the will of God, and he says, you know, there's a lot of the will of God that you and I don't know. There are some things um, this week that you'll face, and you'll, you'll, you'll face those things not being real certain what God's will is in that particular situation. And, and, you know, God's Spirit will lead you, but you won't be real sure exactly how God wants you to handle some things. There are some other things, however, that you know what God's will is. And a lot of times, you and I get caught up on the things that we don't know. And we live our lives worrying about that. And God is not so concerned about what you will do in those areas where you're just not sure of what God's will is, as he is about the areas where you know the will of God and you don't do anything with it. God is concerned that you practice the will of God in the areas where you know the will of God. That's his priority, and that's what James is talking about here. So he says, when you know God's will, therefore go and do it. Um, we, you've been given, each one of you, different abilities, gifts, talents, resources, all of those kind of things. And, and you know that you need to be using them. That's something God gave you for a purpose. And so God wants you to use those gifts, resources, abilities, talents, um, whatever that is, God wants you to use that. When you don't use that, that's what James is talking about here, and using it for the glory of God, not to puff yourself up like Nebuchadnezzar. So as we come to the end this morning, I want to say uh, three points, make three points. First, make all of your plans, and make plans. 
God's not against planning, but God wants you to make your plans mindful that he is the king of the universe. (laughs) And he wants you to make your plans with him in mind. Secondly, God wants every one of us to be humble when God comes along and changes our plans. Or when life circumstances just come along and just radically change things, God wants us to be humble and keep walking with him through that time. And thirdly, that we are to just do the good that we know to do. We are to obey the will of God that we know. John Wesley, who is kind of the founding father of of Wesleyan and Methodist and that whole group of people of which we belong, agrees when he, he wrote this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you ever can. That's great wisdom from John Wesley, and it fits right in with James and what he has to say to us today.